Did you like that little glimpse behind the scenes before and the welcome? I love that. that was, that's how it looks to us trying to do the, all these videos every week, just all this takes over and over again, try to get them right. <laughs> so, all right, we're uh, on eyewitnesses, our series of eyewitnesses, those who eye, were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today is, is Peter. So would you pray with me before we get started? Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. We know that your Holy Spirit's already here, but we invite your Holy Spirit to move in the room, to speak to your people, to move among us, to do your work. We surrender to whatever you have for us this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. So I don't know how many of you know this, but I was a hockey player at Wheaton College, Division Three hockey, and after I left Wheaton College, I played men's leagues hockey till I was like 41 years old. When I had my fourth child, I couldn't stay up till two in the morning anymore playing hockey and still function as a teacher and pastor and whatever else I had to do during the day. So I stopped playing hockey, but my love for hockey led me to start building an ice rink in my yard years ago. This year's version was 76 by 32. That's as big as I can make it without either killing a tree or using my neighbor's yards. Okay? So you get it, right? My, my sons and I have been praying for a tree to die in our yard for several years. Um, now, uh, all my kids, I wanted my kids to learn how to skate and play hockey. And I remember when I got them out there the first time, I told them, look, if you're going to learn to skate, you have to learn to fall. No one learns to skate without falling. It may hurt. You may get a bump. You may get a bruise. You may hit your elbow. You might hit your hip. You might even hit your head. Some people would think, yeah, Klein, you've hit your head multiple times, haven't you? But yes, I have. Learning how to skate takes some courage. It takes some risk. It takes a willingness to step out and kind of go for it. You can't learn how to skate and not go for it. So many people come to my house and they say they want to learn how to skate. They don't really want to learn how to skate. Because they get out there and just kind of creeping along, making sure they don't fall. You'll never learn how to skate that way. You'll always just creep along on the ice. Now, this unwillingness to fall or take risks or to step out is not just true of people skating. We have become a risk-averse, super safety-conscious culture. COVID has only made it worse. Would you agree? We're super full of anxiety and fear about everything that could possibly go wrong with us all the time. One sociologist calls it safetyism. We become obsessed with safety and security that we're to the point of constant overprotection. We somehow have bought the lie that we're fragile. And if we have to take any risks or step out at all, it's going to really go poorly for us. I would call this domesticated. We become domesticated, less adventurous. Now, I would submit this attitude is not just in the culture at large. It is also bled over into the church of Jesus. Yeah. Dare I say that we don't really take many risks in the church of Jesus. No, we sit comfortably in our chairs. We watch the professionals do their thing. Discipleship is sitting in a circle filling out you know, little questions in a book. Occasionally, we might step out a little bit, for the mo- but for the most part, we like things to be safe and secure, not too adventurous, not too risky. To use the ice skating analogy, we don't really want to fall or step out or take the courage to try to learn how to really follow Jesus. Now, when I read my Bible, especially the stories of the earliest eyewitnesses of Jesus, it's a whole different kind of following that's going on. A whole different kind of spirit. Today's eyewitness, Peter, is like the poster child for stepping out, 
right? I wish I could have shown the, the scene this morning from Indiana Jones movie, right? When he takes his foot like this, you know this one? And he steps onto the bridge you can't see. I love that. That's Peter. That's like a picture of Peter's life. Peter did not believe in safetyism. He was not averse to risk. This is evident by the story that we follow in him, of, of him following Jesus in the Gospels. If you read the Bible, you know about Peter's calling to follow Jesus. It started with his brother Andrew actually leading him over and, and introducing him to Jesus. Peter, and Peter's brother Andrew. Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist, and he sees John the, Andrew, Andrew sees John the Baptist point Jesus out. So he goes and gets his brother Peter and says, we found the Messiah, you got to come meet him. That's in John chapter 1. But Peter's real life-changing encounter with Jesus happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, he's in his boat. He's come back from fishing all night. Jesus asks if he can go into his boat and start teaching from his boat near the shore. And then after he's done teaching, he tells Simon Peter, I want you to let your nets down again in deeper water. Look what Peter says, Luke chapter 5. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now Peter gives a little objection here. He tries to explain, look, we've been fishing all night, nothing's happened. But because you say so, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to let my nets down. And because he does, you know what happens, right? The net is filled with countless fish that they can't even get in. They have to call John and James over to help get all the fish in the boat. When we listen to Jesus' instructions, when we obey what he's telling us to do, these simple instructions, amazing things happen. Amen. Every time we listen to Jesus' instructions, he calls us deeper and deeper, higher and higher, farther and farther into his kingdom. But listening to Jesus' instructions takes some risk. It won't be comfortable it won't be safe. It probably won't be secure. It's going to take this kind of a step of faith to listen to Jesus' instructions. Now, it's awesome because this is Peter's kind of first act of obedience. But if you keep reading Peter's story, in the book of Acts, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, the disciples are preaching about the, the resurrection, they're, they're actually healing people. They heal this lame guy near the temple, and this really irritates the religious authorities, the same ones who killed Jesus. So they call them in, and they say, look, you've got to stop this talking in the name of Jesus. You've got to stop it. Don't do it anymore. We order you. These are the same guys that crucified Jesus. There's a lot at risk here. Would you agree? I mean, if they say, we're not going to listen to you, they could get crucified. Look what Acts records, Peter's words. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop talking about everything we have seen and heard. One of the versions says, we can't help it. It's inside of us. It just has to come out. Radical obedience in the midst of threats to their lives. Radical obedience requires you to adjust your life to God. To take a risky step of faith. Tons of people in the Bible did this. Noah had to adjust his life to spend 120 years building an ark. True? Yeah. Abraham had to leave his country and go to a new country. David had to leave his sheep and become the king of Israel. Peter had to leave his fishing business and actually follow Jesus. Have you learned to radically obey Jesus? To radically listen to his instructions? To do what he's asking you to do? 
When he tells you to do something, do you have the faith to just step and go? Now, you know, every order from Jesus can be risky. So see this little book? Probably about two weeks ago, I was praying about what I should be doing to kind of keep the movement of outreach going in Elmer's church. I heard only one word from the Lord. You should be praying for people by name that you're reaching out to. I was like, come on, Lord. There's got to be more to do than just praying. I mean, they don't pay me to pray. I got to get something done here. Then I heard the word knucklehead. Pray. That was the Holy Spirit calling me knucklehead, which I am. So it was very accurate. So I got this book at Staples, and I started, I made a list of all the people that God has put in front of me and the things I'm trying to work on. And I sat over there on a Monday morning, and I prayed in a chair that was over there in the corner, and I prayed by name for each of these people. Tuesday night, Alpha came. I prayed for multiple people in Alpha that had not shown up for several weeks that were our secret friends. When I sat over there Tuesday night and watched people come through the door, every one of those people walked through the door Tuesday night. It was crazy. It was crazy. Everyone. Now, this is a super simple instruction. I'm a knucklehead. I can't hardly sit down for more than five minutes. Seriously. If you watch me work, I'm in and out of my office all the time. I write sermons walking in my yard, walking on the prayer path. That's way better for me than sitting in a chair. So being quiet and praying, I'm talking everyday praying. So I've taken this challenge. Now, I've already missed one day. I missed Thursday. I was too busy running around. I just didn't take the half an hour to sit and pray. But I believe... This is God's word for me. I need to step out and take the risk and say, I'm going to accomplish more by praying for these people in, by name than I'm going to accomplish by running around doing all kinds of stuff. Because this brings the power of God, not the power of Jeff. Way better. Look what Eugene Peterson says. Hearer, beware. Don't just think the word of God is a wonderful thing. Work what you hear into active participation. The word of God intends to get us on our feet, walking and running and singing, maybe even skating. Now, Peter's radical obedience is deeply connected to his faith. Peter's faith is not just sit in a circle, domesticated faith that is safe and secure. Peter's faith is risky, sometimes even dangerous. Peter speaks out and he steps out. I can personally relate to Peter because my foot's been in my mouth multiple times over the years, as you can imagine, right? I've sometimes spoken out maybe the wrong way. Peter often spoke out in the wrong way, but he spoke out and he stepped out because he was wanting to believe and follow Jesus with his whole heart, his whole life. Do you remember that story when Jesus takes his disciples away and he says, who do people say that I am? Who's the first person to talk? Yeah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boom, it just blurts it out. I love, that, again, that, that that sort of sets the tone for who Peter will be as we get further in. Um, in the book of Acts, on Pentecost, think about it. These are unschooled, ordinary disciples. They've never been to seminary, never been trained. They have no commentaries. They have no uh, literature. They have no internet to look at. 
So as Pentecost is there, they're all there, and the Holy Spirit falls, and they hear these people speaking in all their different languages, and people are accusing them of being drunk. Guess who gets up to speak? Peter. He hadn't written a sermon. He hadn't read a commentary. Hadn't prepared for the whole week. He hadn't spent any time in the library. He just gets up out of total faith, and he preaches a sermon the first one ever preached, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus on that first day. An unschooled, ordinary fisherman, unseminary trained by the power of the Spirit, steps out in faith and does this. I mean, how many of you would have said, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to speak, here I go. <laughs> We'd have been like, no way, no way I'm doing this, right? We'd be running. Look at this powerful altar call he gives, Acts chapter 3. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. I love that. 3,000 people are baptized on that first sermon. But it's not just speaking out he does. He steps out. You remember the story in the boat when they're, they're in the boat in the middle of the night and there's a guy walking toward him and, and, and Peter yells out, hey, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to walk on the water. <laughs> so Jesus, well, come on out. <laughs> How many of you would have stepped out of the boat? Seriously, I'd have been like, what? Come on out, Peter, right over the side. Starts walking. And then, of course, he sinks, which I think I would have been sinking a lot quicker. Starts to sink, but the, the thing is, it doesn't matter that he sunk. It doesn't matter that he fell. It doesn't matter that he got bruised. It doesn't matter that Jesus asked him where his faith was. It just mattered that he stepped in faith and followed Jesus, followed his instructions. Have you ever noticed how God seems to join people who step out in faith? Seriously. God loves people who step out in faith. Have you noticed how God's power is unleashed when people step out in faith? People who believe God step out of their domesticated, safe and secure Christianity and actually try something for God that is above and beyond their ability? God always joins those people in powerful ways. So here's a question I have for you this morning. When's the last time you tried something or did something that required you to have faith? When's the last time you did something that required you to, to completely lean on the power of God. Not your own power, not your own strength, but God's power, God's strength. It's kind of like, you know, you ever go on a high dive at camp? You know, high dive, you know, I remember the first time I went to high, the camp and there was a high dive. It was like 10 feet tall and there was a whole line of kids. Of course, my friends were like, come on, let's go climb. Go to the high dive. So you go up the ladder and there's all these kids behind you and there's all these kids in front of you and everyone's jumping off. So my first time up the ladder, I get to the top of the ladder. I start walking on the, on the high dive board, you know, like, like this. And I'm looking down going, holy cow, I'm going to plunge to my death. Right? This is terrible. And then I turn around thinking I'm going back. Unfortunately, there's like 40 kids in line. They're all staring at you going, Wuss, let's go. You going up the high dive or not? So literally, you go to the edge, and you kind of just like fall off the edge, and you survive, and you're like, that was awesome. And then you do it again, and you do it again, and do it again. Sometimes we need to kind of get past our fear and just take a step off the high dive, because once you do it, it's going to be like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. I'll give you, I'll give you one of these things. We're doing Alpha here at church. When I first started Alpha at this church, people told me, oh, Alpha doesn't work. I'm like, really? 
Why doesn't it work? Well, I know why it doesn't work. Because Christians, like you and me, we don't really know anybody to invite to Alpha. And if we did, we don't really have the courage to try to invite them. Let's just be honest. We're introverts. We don't like to invite people to things like this. This is weird. It's scary, right? So Alpha doesn't work because eventually is all you have is a bunch of Christians sitting here watching the Alpha videos. But if you want to see a movement of God, do you know in the, in the church, Holy Brompton Trinity Church in England, I talked to a pastor in Colorado who flew there on the first night of Alpha. There were 200 facilitators in the basement praying for the night and 800 people outside waiting to come to Alpha that night. That's the church that launched Alpha. Wouldn't it be cool? This has got 840 seats. If some night 840 people weren't here doing the Alpha course because we invited them to come. That would be a movement of God that is beyond us. Would you agree? Yeah, it, it, would take, it would take some courage to step out and invite people to Alpha. It would take some courage to build a relationship and say, I'm going to start walking with somebody with the hope of bringing them to Alpha next fall and being here with them through the whole thing, their guide on the side while they go through this course. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would take great faith. You'd be praying your head off because you would know that this is one of these moves for you. And then God would meet you and you would see miraculous things happen. It'd be amazing. So this past Tuesday night, the question was in Alpha, does God still heal today? Last time we did this question, our Alpha team met in the fall in the garden room and we planned to pray for people that needed healing after the, afterwards. This particular time we hadn't met beforehand, I was coming in, me of little faith, the knucklehead pastor, thinking, oh, we'll just discuss this tonight. I don't want to really take the risk of inviting people forward because you know, then I'm up there and who, what if no one comes forward and I'm just standing up there awkwardly with the mic going, oh. <laughs> you know. So I walk in and my alpha team says, we're doing this, right? I said, we're doing what? We're doing this. We're going to pray for people after, after this video tonight, right? I said, absolutely. I was just thinking that on the way in. <laughs> so I said, well, we've got to do this. So fortunately, I have a team around me of smarter people than me, more, more courageous people than me. And so we decided after the video was over, we went to our groups, and they came back here about 8.20. I said 8.20. They said 8.15. I said 8.20 because I had less faith in them. I, I didn't want it to be too long. We didn't leave here until 8.45. You know, in Alpha, they teach you to have these words of knowledge, to be listening to the Holy Spirit for the things going on in the room. I heard the word brokenheartedness. I didn't have the courage to speak it out loud, but I can tell you I pray for six people that are brokenhearted. A couple of those were people that I was praying for to come that night. Right here, right there, spoke God's healing over their brokenheartedness. It was great. Pastor Greg's over here in this row. He's sitting over here. I'm, sitting, I'm standing over here praying. And um, Don and Debbie Slager came down. I don't think it matters. I said their names. Um, they'd be fine with this story. Um, and they came down and told me something was going on, you know, needed prayer, something in his stomach. Well, I, again, knucklehead pastor, I'm up here thinking, well, I know Don's name. I don't know if I know this other person's name. So I'm panicking, thinking, oh, my goodness. I know I know this person's name, and I'm going, Diane, Denise, it's, it's a D. So I'm, I said, I go to Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg, get up here. He's looking at me like, what's wrong with you, Klein? Let's go, just pray. Get up here right now. you got to pray. you got to do this. Hand on the microphone. <laughs> he prays. 
I just stand there like, thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I got the name now. Afterwards, he says to me, client, I was praying down here for the Lord to show me something about what's going on in the room. I got this intense pain in my stomach. And I thought, should I say something to the client or should I say something out loud? Well, if he says anything, I'll, I'll say something out loud. The person he prayed for? Right here. So even in our knuckleheadedness, think about it. Think about how knuckleheaded I was. God's still on the move because we stepped out in faith and decided to pray and do this. God joins you when you step out. And we wouldn't want to finish a sermon on Peter without pointing out that Peter was not a superhero. He was human just like us. And his human weakness showed through all the time. Remember this? He failed to fully understand who Jesus was. Telling Jesus right to his face, hey, Jesus, this terrible death you're predicting for yourself, that's not going to happen. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Or a little later, uh, he says to Jesus, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. You can wash everybody else's feet, but not mine. And then a little while later, Jesus takes him up into the garden a little further, and what does he do? He falls asleep, not once, but multiple times. Can't stay awake. And then, after they wake up and they come down, he pulls his sword out and chops off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus has to heal it and put it back on. He says, Peter, put the sword away. You, you don't get it. And then he tells Jesus, Jesus, I will go with you to the death, only to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows in the morning. I love this scene on the beach in John 21. They're out there fishing. They've gone back to fishing. Peter's like, enough with this. I'm going back to fishing. This whole following Jesus thing isn't really working out for me. And they're out there fishing, and this figure on the beach says, hey, you guys should let your nets down on the other side of the boat. Of course, they do. What happens? Fish galore. Right? And so Peter recognizes this, and here, here's John's account. We'll just read it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. I always, like, wonder, why did he put his coat back on? I mean, that's kind of weird, isn't it? If I was going to swim, I'd just go swim. All right. So Jesus immediately strikes up a conversation with them, and he says to them, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, oh, Lord, I, you know I love you. Of course I love you. And Jesus continues to press in. He asks him three times. In fact, Peter answers him all three times, gets a little more annoyed each time, a little more worked up. He keeps asking him the same question, right? Is Jesus rubbing it in? Is he making a point here? Probably, maybe. But I love that the fact this is true, that Jesus never gives up on the people he calls. No matter how broken, how weak, how often we don't do this, he just keeps contending with us. He keeps sticking with us. He keeps calling us back to him. He keeps calling us to follow him. A lot of us in the room, we feel like we're disqualified from serving the Lord, from stepping out in faith. No, it's not true. I mean, you should know if you have me as a pastor, you're definitely not disqualified. Right? I mean, we're all in this together. We're all weak. We've all done it wrong. We've all gotten it wrong. But that's not the thing. It's, it's about stepping out, speaking out. It's about taking a step of faith. What have you done? It requires you to have faith in the Lord. So I have this one final story. Um, I know this guy in uh, Michigan State University. His name is Dan. He's an introverted, 
IT guy. He loves computers and talking to computers. He, he doesn't really like people that much. <laughs> he works on all kinds of projects with computers. He has recently been working on a project with a Jewish professor in one of his departments. He's never met her, only on Zoom. And he's working on this project where they're building this website for her. He's praying about this project because he's a follower of Jesus. And he hears the Lord distinctly say, because Dan's brother, 32-year-old brother, recently was diagnosed with colon cancer, stage four. So as he's praying for his brother and praying for this project, the Lord says to him, Dan, I want you to tell this woman about your brother. And he's like, what? Come on, this is a work relationship, Lord. This is not appropriate. I don't like talking to people about this stuff. I don't like sharing my stuff. So he kind of ignores it. The next day, praying again, distinctly hears the Lord say, I want you to tell this woman about your brother. So after battling with God for most of the day, he gets on the Zoom call with this lady and he mentions to her, hey, just want you to know what's going on with me right now. My brother's got stage four colon cancer and I just wanted to share that with you so you kind of know if, if I'm kind of off or whatever. And she immediately says, wow, um, I'm really glad you shared that because my mom tomorrow's going for an appointment and she's going to be diagnosed with ALS and she's dying and I had no one to talk to about this. Dan tells me that his relationship with this professor has gone 95%. They're now praying Jewish healing prayers over their relatives together. Now, was that a big step of faith to follow God's instructions, talk about his brother? No. Super simple, right? And the Lord is using that to build this relationship that might lead to who knows what. I don't know the end of the story yet, but I love this. When we listen to God, when we step out in obedience and faith, he meets us. Amazing things happen. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to lead. That's the kind of church God is waiting to join with his power and his might on the journey of building his kingdom in the world. You with me? Amen. All right. Whew. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, teach us to be dangerous, Simon Peter, risky, step of faith followers. Teach us to speak out. Teach us to step out. Lord, meet us in our anxiety and our fear and help us to hear your instructions and follow and obey. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.